the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 199. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. We are bringing the latest comic news from the weeks of October 31st through to November 12th. We just have one little bit of news. Uh, we have a bu- uh, three books to cover, and then a ton of stuff as far as Greater Gotham, and then uh, some listener Q&As as part of the Bad Signal. So let's just jump into the news. So like I said, there's only one thing to report. Uh, sales numbers, initial sales numbers came out for October 2016. Um, this was just basically the top 10 because all we're recording the full rundown of the top 300 comics of the month have not released, but we do have the top 10. Um, so as far as TVU books, we had Dark Knight 3, Master Race number 6, City at number 4, Batman number 8, City at number 5, Batman number 9, City at number 6, All-Star Batman number 3, City at number 9. Um, so I guess the interesting thing about it is All-Star Batman, even though it's Scott Snyder, um, I'm wondering if it's it's not selling as many copies as Batman only because of the lasting effect of Scott Snyder on the Batman title, or if it has something to do with the fact that all-star Batman is currently four ninety nine compared to the two ninety nine of the Batman titles. Um, so yeah. And uh, as far as dollar share and, and unit share, Marvel did fall to, or DC did fall to Marvel. I should say bum, this bum. month, just by a couple, couple percentages. Uh, this is due to the fact that uh, the, the returns for the rebirth books, uh, that that returnable phase has come to an end for the majority of the DC books, um, but nonetheless, DC still holding strong at over thirty percent in both dollar share and unit share. So that's important. Um, as far as graphic novels goes, there's only one from the, the Batman universe. It was the Batman: The Dark Knight Returns book and mask set, which was thirty nine ninety nine. That came in at number ten on the graphic novel top 10 list. So uh, that is sales for October. You know, it's, it's amazing. Even though DC has lost its uh, share, if you look at it, Batman's still the most dominant character. I mean, out of the top 10 books, four of them are from him as the main character with Batman 8, 9, All-Star, and Dark Knight 3. There's no other character that's quite as dominant as that, um, which when we all talk about why is there so many Bat books, I guess that's why. Four out of 10, that's 40% of the top 10. That's... That's moving a lot of issues. Yeah, and it's also important to note that uh, the number one slot was actually held by Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, number one, which comes from Boom Studios. And this is specifically because that issue appeared in last month's Loot Crate. So the Loot Crate effect had a lot to do with that book being the number one book for the month. So They really shouldn't count. I mean, it's it's great for comic sales, but it's not... And have you noticed that there has never been any holdover? Like, it's every time they have one of these weird titles, and this might be the greatest comic book ever. I'm not trying to slam it. I haven't read it. But every time they do one of these Loot Crate ones, like, you want to see, like, you know, there's no number two. Yeah, I think the only one that was that was close to being a holdover was Darth Vader. When Darth Vader 1 came out, it was in Loot Crate. 
And I think, yeah, but that wasn't because yeah, exactly. That's it's, it was it's because Wars. it released right around Star Wars. Like, yeah, because I believe that the Star Wars stuff for a while was in the top ten. That was for quite some time, but that was well, Vader's still number eight this month, and that book's still selling. And I think it's a Batman alum that's doing Darth Vader now, isn't it? I don't couldn't tell you for sure, but yes, Darth Vader number 25 was at number eight. You keep mentioning loot crate. Is that that thing that like you pay out and like there it's a bunch of blind items and they send you a box and you could get like a yes, t-shirt? That's, or... that's basically the idea. I guess I okay. should have explained that for those those listeners who don't know box. what loot crate is. But basically loot crate is like a subscription once a month or you could do it every other month. You pay, I think it's like $25 and then you get a box that includes – Fifty dollars worth of merch or merchandise worth at least fifty dollars. Um, it includes a variety of different things. Sometimes it includes uh, action figures. Sometimes it includes comics. Sometimes it includes random stuff. Uh, th- there's been times like I, I don't personally get Loot Crate. Uh, Funko actually offers a DC version of it called Legion of Collectors uh, box. And I subscribe to that one, and then every other month they send me a box specifically with Funko-related merchandise that's all DC-related. And I'd rather have something like that than just gamble and who knows what you're going to get in some of those Loot Crate boxes because I knew some people who were getting the Loot Crate box, and there was one month where it was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they send you like this paper mask. And they sent you a foam finger, and there was, you know, there was a Minecraft month where you got like a pair of sunglasses that had the Minecraft style on the sides of it, and it's just like one of those things where it's like, do I really want, no, no, do I really want junk? I mean, not that everything is junk. I'm sure there's some stuff that's worth, you know, a good chunk. I'm sure there's T-shirts and things like that, but like, I'd rather have stuff where like I have at least an idea of what I'm going to get. And with the Funko ones, you're always guaranteed to get a pop figure. You're always going to get some sort of apparel, whether it be a T-shirt or a hat. You're always going to get something else. There's always a comic book. So I, I've enjoyed that. I've had that since the beginning when they started out in, in uh, March. Um, the Loot Crate one, though, is there's so many people who get the Loot Crate that that's why it offsets the prices. Because if Loot Crate goes to a comic company and says, hey, I want to purchase uh, a comic for the month. Yeah, so that they're basically influxing 250,000 copies of a book automatically into you know the the comic sales for the month because they're going to be in 250,000 loot crates for the month so big 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 yeah. numbers all right so with that that is all of the news related to sales and everything else that we have we obviously like i said we we do have some books to cover so we're going to start off with all-star batman all-star batman number 4 Scott Snyder and John Romita Jr. at the helm as normal. Uh, we open up here back in the sewer tunnel, and we find out the goons that were being lent to Two-Faced uh, were actually from the Court of Owls, which was something I didn't pick up on the last issue for some reason, because um, they're dressed like very rainbowish for Court of Owls members. Uh, anyway, a fight breaks out. Uh, Batman has to use this type of bat sonar, as he's been what we are definitely led to believe is temporarily blinded by Two-Faced. Uh, Two Face does get away in the middle of the night, but traps and Duke and Batman in like a you know typical water death trap uh, that they get out of. Of course, uh, then we see Two Face escape, and he's up in a field using his cell phone when he gets knocked unconscious. Uh, Batman and Duke make it to an airfield and decide to borrow a old fashioned biplane. And at this point, Batman more about the time he spent with Harvey when he was younger. We find out that his father originally had a two tails coin. 
and that he melted it down into a two-headed coin to let Harvey know things would be different when he came home from the boys' home that him and Bruce were in. And we do learn that Bruce never believed him, and Harvey probably never really believed him either, and that they did not get better when he went back. Uh, as Duke gives the coin back to Batman, KGB appears maybe with a jetpack or something, but lands on their plane and takes them both out kind of off panel. We, we have them wake up, and they are tied up uh, next to Harvey. And we see Penguin, uh, Great White Shark, and Black Mask are all there. Uh, they play a, bit, a video from Two-Face from Harvey where he tells them that if Batman did not get him where he wanted to get him, that this was the backup plan. Um, he needs them to give Penguin the password so that they can take out the network that has all the information on it that's going to be using this blackmail scheme. Uh, Two-Face says he has a backup plan as well, and an explosion goes off. Batman's eyesight is still kind of wibbly-wobbly at this point. Um, and then we escape. We see Batman ask, who's out there? You know, did you hire Deathstroke? Did you hire Shiva? Uh, and Dukes look out and says it's just people. And outside um, appears to be a very angry and a very well-armed mob. Uh, and then in the backup, we have more fallout from the Zaz and Duke affair. So last issue, we talked about the new the new backstory between Harvey and Bruce, um, something that hadn't been explained before. Here we get more backstory from Harvey and Bruce. And I was just wondering, did you guys think that what we got here was an addition to, was a significant addition or needed to be told? Or was what we had last issue enough? Or does this give us more? I feel like he gives us a little bit more. It also kind of conf- it kind of helps understand why Harvey and Bruce would have some sort of uh, you know conflict relationship uh, later in life, and it's because of this this random deal or promise that they made each other. Um, I guess in some ways, I mean, like I don't know that it was necessary. I think the last month's uh, explanation of the two knowing each other, I think it, it did good enough. It did a, a well enough job to explain it this month. I don't necessarily know that it was needed, but I guess it does make the coin a little bit more significant, which maybe that's the idea. So it's interesting because I feel like um, it'd be something that, if people found out about this, well, I mean, he didn't kill anyone, but obviously even just making a deal, I think somewhat changes the character a little bit, you know, of Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. um, maybe that's just me. But uh, it's funny because as you were recapping, I thought, wait, this sounds familiar. Where did I hear this? Where did I see this? And it was on Arrow, you know, Arrow, it just came out to his team members that he had that list and he yep. was basically a serial killer. So, I mean... Do you then, once you find out this part of his past, whether he killed him or didn't, he had every intention potentially of killing um, Harvey's father. So does that change the character? Should the other people be aware of this? I mean, I guess now, um, you know, Duke does, and it, it didn't face him at all. Is that like a misrepresentation of should there have been a greater impact? Hmm. Um, but that, I mean, that's just me. I mean, to think that, you know, this young boy decided that, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was going to kill somebody. Uh, and it was not, it had no one really to do with his own past. Cause I think it could be more explainable had it been Joe chill, but it wasn't, he made this like death murder pact. And I mean, <laughs> it seems pretty evil. Yeah. Um, That's so true, but isn't the whole idea of why he was there in the first place was to deal with these emotions. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But, I mean, he just hops on and hops off, and there's, like, no impact, it seems, on the other characters, you know, learning of this dark Bruce Wayne past. I feel like the character has all of a sudden shifted for me. Yeah, but it's so far in the character's past. I mean, like, 
this is back when Bruce Wayne was a boy. You don't think that 20 years later, he, it, things could have changed? You, so you don't think that the past, like, once you move on, it, it really, it doesn't matter what kind of things you do? Well, I'm just saying, you're telling me that Duke should be reacting to something that happened 20 years ago, that, that some pact that happened but didn't actually take place. Like, he didn't actually go kill anybody. He just said he was going to. Yeah. And let's and, and like going back to the whole idea of Alfred stuck him in the home uh-huh. in the first place so that he could deal with the fact that he was hell bent on revenge. I mean, I, I see what you're saying as far as like the idea of, you know, this is a very drastic turn for the character, but I think that the reason why it doesn't have it, it, it doesn't and it won't have as much effect on these other characters is because it's taking place so far behind. I mean, like I understand like the comparison with arrow that also makes sense, but this is like a couple of years ago when he was arrow, you know, when he was the hood, you know, compared to Batman where he, this is 20 years before you know, 20 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever, when he was not even a superhero, not a hero, wasn't trained, nothing like that. I don't, I don't think it's a direct comparison in that regard. Okay, because he's young and now he's not young. Yeah, I mean, like, plenty of people make mistakes when they're young. I don't think that everybody should just completely judge that person solely on the the choices that they make as they're a young person, regardless. Okay. I still think it changes the Bruce Wayne character for me. I think, I I mean, yeah, I mean, that aspect, yes, but I don't know why it would affect the people that are finding the information out. Like, why why would it affect Duke? I mean... Duke is going to find out that Bruce as a child had these bad thoughts. I mean, I, I, I guess maybe he could sit there and be like, wow, you, you were a twisted person back then. But I mean, like, <laughs> he's not that person and he knows that he's not that person, at least anymore. So, I mean, like, I don't know how it would affect that character. But yes, as Bruce Wayne, it does. And that's what I, I, I think I said that last episode when we were talking about, like, why did he need to go to the asylum in the first place? Why do we need to change their crazy relationship to have them both, like, hating their parents or not hating their parents, but like hating on the fact something to do with their parents. And that's their, their weird connection instead of just leaving it the way it was, which was they were schoolmates or, you know, friends in college or whatever it was, or they didn't even meet until, you know, Bruce Wayne comes back and he's, you know, he's just supporting the political aspects of Harvey Dent. You know, I don't understand why they had to go that far back in the first place, but yeah, I, I, I agree in the fact that this entire thing in general changes the Bruce Wayne character. Again, I, I think it changes what we, we know about him. They didn't act on it. And Bruce was was this is going to sound weird. I would have I would think this would change Bruce's character more for me if he had made this pack when he was 16 or 17. You know what I'm saying? Like at this point, I think he's so young. What's he portrayed at in this issue? What age are we thinking? Nine, ten? Or, yeah, I mean, even if he was, like, 12 or 13. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think he's young enough where I look at it and, and say that I don't think that it, it's – I mean, again, it's it's interesting. But I, I don't think that, that it, he wasn't old enough to know what he was really getting – you know what I'm saying? The idea of someone at that age making that kind of commitment, something that he didn't have to go through with. Um, I think it shows the level of commitment to be justice. And I think it shows that – his understanding of what justice is has changed from, you know, as a child, I think the younger we are, the less intelligent we are, it's the more angry we are sometimes. I think we can confuse vengeance with justice. And I think the young, you know, 
sometimes confuse that. Well, if we get the person that got us and we kill them, that's justice. I think the more mature you get, you understand that it's not always an eye for an eye per se. Um, I think it's an interesting moment though for the character. Um, and again, it's, it's, I'm wondering if you're going to have a Harvey slash Bruce conversation at some point um, where this moment's going to be referenced. I mean, we all know Snyder likes to drop stuff in and then pick it up later. So I'd be curious to see if we're going to have a, Hey, don't act like you're so great. You were going to help me kill my dad moment. And I think that something like that um, could be coming up. Uh, so off of that part, the other thing that I want to talk about is kind of what's going on with Duke here. This is the first story where Duke's in costume and part of the kind of the action, not as a, as a more of a side character. Um, what do you guys think of Duke so far? I know that Harper Rowe was a character that took a while to grow on, on some of us, not me, but some of us. Um, <laughs> And I know Duke is kind of this strange character we've got with we're only really seeing his super involvement here in All-Star Batman. I don't even think we have a code name for Duke yet because he just calls him Duke. And I just wonder where you, where you th- what you thought of Duke's semi-starring role in this so far. And the, the little caveat is, would you rather see someone else here besides Duke playing that sidekick role? And if so, who? Well, if I had to... Until dead. If I had to... I don't even want to talk about Harper because Stella's going to How talk about dare Harper, you? Harper way too long. <laughs> but I will say, you know, as far as Duke, I don't know that Duke is – I don't honestly think that Duke is the correct character for this type of story. I mean, like, they're clearly rooting this story in some sort of, like, history related to their relationship, you know, relationships between the two characters – and I feel like Duke is kind of like this random third wheel that's, you know, joining halfway through the through the thing as a reason to re-explain the Harvey and Bruce relationship because maybe everybody else would already know, so there'd be no reason for it. You know, I'm slightly warming up to Duke. Duke's I, I don't think that Duke is nearly as bad of a character as Harper Rowe was. And that a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think that Harper Rowe just she felt too forced and Duke you know as much as he's still a little forced he at least went off on his own and was in We Are Robin for a while and even though that series wasn't as good as it as I hoped it could have been um, you know it feels like he paid at least some sort of due before being thrusted into a main story uh, headed by Scott Snyder like Harper Rowe was but at the same time I feel like yeah, Duke doesn't really fit very well. Uh, for the backups, it makes sense, obviously, because they're doing this training thing with him. But I feel like, you know, in the backups, we're dealing with him training because Batman wants to make sure that he's capable of being a sidekick. But at the same time, he's appearing in the main story as the only person who could be helping Bruce right now rather than anybody else. And it just goes back to that idea that, like, I'm not sure why Snyder can't use other characters that already exist what is the necessity to create the characters just to fill a plot point that is necessary? And in some ways one could argue that Harper Row was a plot point because the fact that she was used and now is not used at all. And he has nothing to do with the character shows that in some ways she was only brought on to serve a, a purpose for the plot. And, and a lot of people could argue that Julia Pennyworth is exactly the same way. She served a, a purpose for a very short time. And I'm hoping that this thing that they're doing with Duke is not going to turn into a Harper Road, Julia Pennyworth thing that we've seen in the past. Um, now I will say in Snyder's defense, Julia Pennyworth did pop up in eternal, not Batman 
she ended up in Batman, but she popped up in Eternal first, unlike Harper Row. But I think that if we were to take Duke out, honestly, you could use any other member of the Bat family, and I think it would serve its purpose. Somebody who would work perfectly for, you know, might not know the history between Harvey and, and Bruce as well would be Batwoman because Batwoman, you know, she's fairly new into the fold, but I understand that there would be no reason to use her because she's currently one of the co-stars of Detective Comics, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to use her. But then there's other characters, like you could use Batwing, who knows nothing about anything at all. And he's, you know, but he just, of course, popped up in, in over there in Detective Comics too. So I, I, there's, a, there's a number of characters. They could have used a character who would know the history and just, you know, reaffirming you know, understanding the story between the two or something. It just feels like the Duke thing again, it's just, it's there because it needs to be there because that's the purpose that Snyder wants somebody to fill. And instead of using somebody who already exists, because honestly, I mean, you could even use Damien. So. I'm not really sure what your ideal way is of introducing a new character. Cause every character, I feel like you've, feel like <laughs> it seems like you feel like uh, many of the new characters are quote unquote forced in or just a plot point. So how would you, well, how would you feel like it being organic? Like we've just, Hey, the, here's a new character without it feeling forced or a plot point. It's not so much about it, it, It's not, here's the thing. It's not so much about the, it's being forced or serving a plot point. It's more about the lasting effect of a character. When you have, uh, you know, an expansive group of characters as the bat family is, and you choose to bring in a character that serves a purpose like Harper row that is technology, technology based and is going to build some sort of crazy gadgets for Batman. Yet you have Tim Drake who can do the exact same thing. Why do you need another character? That's just new that you're going to introduce, have her become this character of bluebird, but then she actually ends up leaving the role of bluebird, all within a span of only five years. There just, there just doesn't feel a reason. You look at Julia Pennyworth. She's basically around just because Snyder didn't want to use Alfred for a time. I mean, that that's basically what happened. Um, now we've got Duke where he, he can't use Nightwing. He can't use Damien. He can't use Tim Drake. He can't use Jason Todd. He can't use Batwing. He can't use Batwoman. He can't use any of the characters that are basically appearing in all the other books. But before rebirth half of those characters weren't appearing in, in any books he couldn't use any of those he had to go make this new character with duke thomas and honestly the idea of batman deciding well duke i know your life sucks because your parents got you know basically jokerized and they're no longer gonna be able to be with you anymore so i feel guilty about that so i'm gonna take you in and then i'm going to basically put you in the thick of things and you really don't have any skills whatsoever compared to any of the other sidekicks I've previously had, except maybe Jason Todd, because Jason Todd was just a kid from the streets. But like Dick was an acrobat. Tim is, a, you know, a skilled detective and also, you know, very smart in general when it comes to technology and things like that. And Duke, what skills does he actually have besides just maybe street smarts like Jason Todd? And one would argue that nobody liked Jason Todd when he first came in. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I, I guess I just disagree with you. And I mean, to a certain extent, you know, I like to just 
sort of uh, accost you me. or yeah. antagonize you with Harper yeah. Row. But, um, and I mean, you know, everyone who listens to this knows that as well. But I do think that, you know, that she was brought on in a time, and, and all your points are valid that she's basically like almost a female version of Tim Drake, but she was brought on in a time that Tim Drake was not really a member of the Batman universe. He was well, out. I would you argue know, who, why was he not a member of the Batman universe or the Bat family? Why was that? Because I don't know. Who, DC. Who in, well, okay, maybe it was a DC editorial thing, and maybe it was you know you need to go create your own characters. Maybe that was the case, but nobody has ever stated that that was the case. And the problem is, you know, being told, well, you need to create mere images of characters that you might use. That's fine for a writer, but now Scott Snyder has cons- cons- consistently had top selling books month in, month out for DC for six plus years. And at this point, if he can't sit there and say, I want to use this character and it works, then there's something wrong. And I would, if I was him, I would wonder about why I would want to continue if I couldn't use the characters. It doesn't seem like that's the case because he just continues to create his own characters. But I think to a certain extent, if you want to, you know, have a legacy in comics, it's not only how you're dealing with current characters, but you're also starting new characters off. And, and I agree. That, and yeah. I agree. I agree that, you know, if you do want a lasting legacy, you do need to create your own set of characters that can continue to be used. I mean, Chuck Dixon is very well known for creating Bane, you know, having a big part in Birds of Prey and Oracles and all of that. And I understand all of that. But at the same time, it's not saying that he didn't utilize other characters in conjunction with them. And honestly, like if you, you know, just looking at the other characters that Snyder has used, he doesn't use very many uh, characters as part of the bat family, as part of the Batman universe outside of his own creations, except in a very minimal, minimal use. Like Nightwing was around way before Chuck Dixon messed around with Nightwing and, and Barbara Gordon and Oracle and all that stuff. So you know, I, I agree that you need to have a lasting impact or, you know, every writer wants to have a lasting impact, but there's, a, there should be a line. And I feel like the line is, is very blurred when it comes to people accepting everything that Snyder does. And that's not to say that everything that he does isn't good. He's a very good writer. I just wish that he could do, you know, use some of the characters that already exist rather than just creating characters that, you know, to, to help him tell his stories. Well, <laughs> of course, this is just one of those I arguments mean, where it's yeah, just going to keep going and going. It would, just- yeah. So I'll just move on from Harper. But I will say that you do in your in, <laughs> you remind me of Batman when he when we first saw his interaction with Harper because he was very cold to her and said, <laughs> you know, I told you not to come back or whatever. So it's very reminiscent. Maybe it's true to form. Um, art imitated life. Uh, but, you know, the real question was about Duke and everything. What did we think about his... Sorry, Ed. Uh, about his, his uh, psychic role and everything. And... So, I guess the the... Is it really Batman, I guess, that's focusing on Duke training and then, you know, getting ready and then becoming a sidekick i feel like that one maybe not maybe i'm wrong maybe it is all star no well because we had that whole crossover with the monster men and batman's like you shouldn't be out here that's true so he um so i feel like you know more happens in batman so this is kind of interesting and to a certain extent i think batman told him i don't really want you around on this you need to just be 
the handler kind of situation. And even here, he's with him, and Batman is basically blind, and he will not let Duke fly the plane. And yes, Batman is stubborn, but give me a break. Like, when is he going to even give Duke a chance? If this is what this relationship is going to be like, why is Duke even there? So it's, he's more of like a frustration. I can see potential with him. He's not my favorite of the sidekicks that's coming up once he was introduced with um, Endgame, I guess. Um, I was like, oh, no, not another one. Uh, and he's... I mean, he's just not my favorite. Um, if I were to replace him with anyone, yeah, probably people are thinking I'm going to say Harper Row. But honestly, I think, and I found it interesting that Dustin was saying basically people who didn't know the history with the, with um, Two Face. I think it'd be good to have someone who at least has history, maybe with Two Face, if not especially with Batman. And I would pick Damien um, in an ideal world uh, because I think it would be interesting to have Batman tell his story about when he was younger to Damien, who was raised as an assassin. Hello. So I, I feel like that would have been more emotionally, you know, charged and it would be a better um, story potentially. But the fact is we have Duke now and Duke is created and Duke is in this role. So we have to use Duke. He's just not being used well. And it's frustrating for me anyways, as a reader. I'm kind of there. I think Duke is just kind of here. Like, like you said with the plane, that's weird. Like, yeah. dude, you, you're blind. Like, yes, you cannot say, I got it. Like, no, dude, you're blind. You don't got it. I mean, mm-hmm. there's times where you just got to say, no, no, you can't see, bro. You can't fly. Like, that's. It's basically like a drunk person trying to get into a car. Oh, yeah. No, At he some point, very much plays the role. <laughs> yeah. The enabler, mm-hmm. you know? Um, <clears throat> I don't know what is. I mean, he almost sounds like he's here just to be a sounding board, so Batman has someone to tell the story to. Um, I know that sounds awful, but that's I me. Mean, that's what it sounds like. It's like he's here because we need we need someone for exposition, and this is who we're going to use. Um, for whatever reason, I I think that Jason would work very well on this. I think that what what uh, Stella touched on earlier, the, the whole revelation about you made a pact to kill someone, does that change Bruce's character? I think that Jason, who we know has gone too far. More than once, I think that would be an interesting. Could have been an interesting conversation point, especially with the involvement of Two Face and Jason's parents' death. I think that him, you know, dealing with with Bruce and the fact that Bruce was once plotting to kill someone's father could have been real interesting. Oh yeah, you know, Mister White Knight, huh? Threatening to drop some of guy's dad. So um, I think that was a, a missed opportunity there. But maybe that's just me. Um, but yeah, Duke as a character, I think is fine. Um, but I think they got to figure out what they're what is the end game with this character? Yeah, what's now, his purpose? Yeah, what's he what's he gonna do? Why why do we need him with you know with spoiler and Harper and Batwoman and Orphan and you know Robin and with Nightwing and, and with and with with all these characters the cave's getting a little crowded you know yeah. they, I mean Gotham girl. Batwing Gotham Girl I mean we got a lot of characters running around now and I know the the idea of having a, a big bat family is one of the reasons we like the universe so much. I think we all agree with that, but unless we've got a, a role for some of these people, I mean, Harper's already been pretty much sent to the sidelines yeah. and I don't know why we need another character. Now, if there's a, now listen, we could all be missing it. And in two months we go, Oh, that was clever what they did with him. And, and then I'd be the first one to say I was wrong. But right now, the one thing reading this book to me that feels like a lost opportunity. And I still love the book is that I just, I think that the interaction with Duke would be much more meaningful with almost anybody else. Yep. All right. So, All-Star Batman, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. 
Um, I mean, I still think it's a great book. Uh, Romita Jr.'s art is fantastic, so I'm still going to give it a four out of five. Three out of five. Over on the website, Corbin gave it four. So that's going to give All-Star Batman a total of three and a half out of five batteries. Let's move into our next book, Batman. Bane, I've come for Psycho Pirate. I need him to save someone who needs to be saved. Turn him over. I go away. Refuse to turn him over. And I will break your damn back. Miss it the first time? Don't worry. It's repeated three more times. This is Batman number 10. I am Suicide Part 2. Writer Tom King. Pencils, inks, and cover Mikhail uh, Janine. Or Janine. And colors June Chung. So, if you didn't realize, <laughs> Batman is flying to Santa Prisca in order to get Psycho Pirate. And, uh, well, his plane is downed in the prison. Uh, he fights a horde of people. And, of course, he takes them all down by himself. He makes his way a little battered to Bane, who is still broken. Or, I'm sorry, Bane, who is still naked. Bane decides he's not going to break his back, but he acts as Batman's own chiropractor and throws him in the, I don't know, kind of cell, I guess, the the flooding cell that we saw Bane grow up in. And uh, Batman does something weird to his back that seems to fully break it. I'm not sure I necessarily understand what's going on. I stared at that page for a long time, actually. But he does get out of the flooded cage, which then leads him to a back door, and he opens it up, and there is Catwoman and Arnold Wesker. Now, all the while, as this action... Oh, and this was the plan, of course, to get caught and open up the back door. So all the while, there is a narration on top of all this that is basically a letter... Well, sorry, not basically. It is a letter from Selina to Bruce, and she knows that Bruce is also Batman. And it explains about her rough childhood, that they are similar because they're both orphans. But her parents just up and disappeared one day. She went from foster home to foster home. Didn't really work out uh, because she had bad experiences. She ended up at the Thomas and Martha Wayne home for the boys and girls of Gotham. And she enjoyed being there. She also liked to look up at the portrait of the, the Happy Waynes. And at some point recently... Uh, this group called the Dogs of War, who happened to be terrorists from Kandak, decide to firebomb or just bomb this orphanage, killing 163 orphans, seven teachers, and even a janitor who was kind to Selena. And so she, of course, took umbrage at uh, what they did, and she ended up going after uh, these dogs of war, and there were 237 registered members, so she started with those that were in Gotham and then sort of spread out. And so this basically all connects to the fact that, or to the reason why she is in Arkham and is facing all those counts of murder, and she realized she had to do this very quickly because Batman would be the one coming after her. So, uh, that is it for Batman number 10, and next up is Breaking Bane. First question, were you shocked to find out that Catwoman knows that Bruce Wayne and Batman are one and the same? No. Okay. Was this something that was um, talked about? There you go. That's <laughs> it. I guess, well, I, well I, then I wondered, was it just me that didn't know this existed in this universe? Well, I think – I th- here. Okay, so my answer is no. I, I'm not surprised, but I think 
The reason why I'm not surprised is mostly because I look at this and say, well, in almost every version of Batman and Catwoman, most versions, they know each other. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's actually versions of the characters where they marry each other and have children, oh. including Huntress Helena Wayne. Um, but that's, that's over on Earth, too. But anyway, my point is, I'm not surprised by this. I mean, like, I guess they're just confirming that this is the case. It seems to be that's what they're doing in a lot of different rebirth titles. They're, they're just slowly confirming things that, you know, longtime fans would already suspect and, and, and think to be true, but they are confirming certain things for newer fans who might've only read new 52 or never read comics in general. And they're just reaffirming certain aspects of these characters, histories, that we have come to just, you know, always accept as fact, but they're just, you know, laying it out to make sure that you're aware of it. So that that's my take. I, I, I don't find it surprising, but I do find it reassuring, if that helps. Um, I'm glad that she knows who he is. Um, this The Selena-Bruce relationship has always been my favorite relationship for Bruce and or Selena. So whatever we have to do to get on the right path is cool with me. I was afraid that we were going to go down this whole oh my god, we're going to have to have another story where she learned who Bruce Wayne is Batman, and I just didn't. It's like an origin story. Like I don't need another one. I get it. Um, um, not surprised, but I'm, I'm glad that we have this as part of the status quo. I was a little surprised if only how you know they did it um, because you know Ed said he didn't want an origin story for how she finds out, but I think it's always interesting to have that sort of big reveal. And you know, we had it with Hush to a certain extent um, or, you know, in that in that timeline. And I feel like since we are in a different continuity, it'd be interesting to know how she found out. Now, this could just be we've laid out the facts and soon we'll find out how she knows or but if it's just this is all we know, then I'll be a little disappointed because I, I think it's a big thing for anyone to know Batman's secret identity, uh, whether it's his you know, beloved or not is, um, you know, I think we should say, uh, next question. What did you think of the storytelling style? The fact that there was this narration overlapping the actual action of what was happening and the fact that Batman basically repeated one refrain over and over again. Well, I found it slightly annoying. Um, (laughs) I think the biggest thing for me was like coming off the last issue. I was, I, I was really expecting something really good. The last issue, you know, slowly revealing who the members of Batman Suicide Squad were going to be. And then the reveal of Catwoman, like we're really getting into this like awesome, we're, like, you know, building up, building up, building up, building up. And then when that cliffhanger with Catwoman, you're sitting there like, oh, this would be awesome. And I feel like we get to this issue. And I know that a little bit of time passed in between issues because they're automatically in Santa Prisca and there's no real interaction with the team, which is in some ways kind of a letdown because I feel like the interaction between the team members and Batman would have been, you know, that by itself is worth the cover price. Um, but here we're just kind of like, we, it feels like we're on like a short time frame of, we need to keep moving. We need to keep moving. And it feels like what, what was the real reason we needed to get this team? If we're not actually seeing a whole lot of interaction between the team members. Um, so, I mean, like I looked I, I walked into this issue expecting really, really great things. And honestly, hearing that refrain going over and over again, the breaking or not breaking of Batman's back, it just felt like a letdown to me. 
I think that the style is interesting. Um, I think this kind of dual narrative is interesting. The fact that we get uh, Selena's letter to Bruce presented as just a letter without the accompanying illustration, which we would typically see in almost anything in a comic book. Um, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a cool concept. I just don't think the execution here is terribly perfect. Um, Selena's letter is actually the best a lot of exposition mm-hmm. here. We find out, you know, Selena's story is very good here. The idea of her always looking up at the portrait of, of Bruce and his family and her thinking of that portrait being burned. Like we get a lot of meat there. And I really like Selena's letter. It definitely helps flesh out her 200 and some odd murders, which extreme even for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Selena's letter is very, very good. Um, it's the rest of the book that's kind of like so. It's I don't think it's a function of how they did it. I mean, if what we, if what we had going on with Batman and going on Bane was a little more um, cerebral, was a little more yeah, a little more cerebral, or made a little more sense. I think that the way they the style was fine. It was a cool way to do it. It just what was going on in the background was like, like you said, repeat, rinse, repeat. Like oh god, he's doing it again. Like you know. Is happening again. He's saying it again, you know? Um, um, and I wonder, too, if some of that was a, a conscious choice from King to say, listen, I want them to be paying attention to Selena's letter. And it's tough to do big monologues in comics. So what if I give them something kind of uninteresting going on in the background and force the letter to the forefront? Um, I think that's possible. But that being said, what was going on in the background was absurd. Like, at one point, Batman walks up to the gate, and there's like 50 guys with guns there. He jumps over them. I mean, Brain Bane breaks his back. He escapes the prison, and like an like it's the whole thing going. Like, Give me Psycho Pirate! Like, first of all, the fact that anything in the world of comics could be this closely tied for Psycho Pirate. I mean, this is the <laughs> this second is, arc we've had to have Psycho Pirate in. Like, it's like Psycho Pirate plays this insanely large important role in something that he should never be playing this large of a role in. Yeah. No, we, it was bad enough. We dealt with him in, I am Gotham and now we're dealing with him here. Like psycho pirate for one storyline is pushing it. Psycho pirate for two is ridiculous. And what we get here, like I said, I, I love Selena's letter, but the other thing, and nothing really happens. We were still basically at square one, except the rest of the team is on the island. You know, I'm like, nothing actually happened. He gets there and he gets locked up, and now they're back to square one again. So, yeah, um, I think this, this, the structure was cool and could have could have yielded some very interesting results, but the execution wasn't, wasn't great. If for me, it's almost like when you have those tests and there's a word written, like a... a the name of a color, but it's written in a different color. So like um, red will be written in yellow and you're like trying to figure out, Oh, what color is it? I hate that. You know, that that's what it felt like to me because um, I w- my attention was just pulled in two different ways because, you know, comics are an art medium. So I feel like, the images that I'm seeing need to be important as well. So if that was his intention that, you know, you don't have to pay attention to that. That's not a good idea because clearly things have to happen in the background that, that makes sense. Um, This is a Selena driven 
moment slash issue. And I almost wonder why weren't we seeing images to properly accompany the words that were going on. I sort of had to read the issue with the with what Batman was doing and then go back and just read the letter by itself um, for it to be more cohesive. Uh, and it was just it was difficult. And I don't think it should have been that way. Um, plus, I mean, that's yeah. Ugh. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, the only those were really my my only two uh, questions there. I'm hoping that this isn't the end with the whole dogs of war and and Selena blowing them up. Um, I didn't think she was this lethal of a character. Feels like a huntress kind of thing to me. But hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so really? I mean, it's. And unfortunately, this is that trend, right? We were worried about that the first issue of the arc for Tom King's really good. And then it like slips down. It's already happened. So it's just unfortunate. All right. So I'm going to give this issue two and a half out of five. Oh, God, I've been dreading this. I'm going to I'm going to give it three out of five solely on the fact like Stella, I went back and read it. Mm. And Selena's letter is actually very, very good. So just on the way to that letter, I'm going to give it three out of five. I'm going to say a two out of five. All right. And over on the website, Matthew gave it two out of five. So it's going to give Batman number 10 a total of two and a half out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our last book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 944, written by James Tiny IV, art by Eddie Barros. Uh, the issue starts off with Clayface in his human form. Stephanie, Harper, and Cassandra heading to the garage because Harper wants to check out Luke's flying car. Um, as they are about, as they're trying, as they get to the car and they are about to look at it, something happens where the car turns on and a bunch of stuff starts popping out of the car that appears to be some sort of drones. Um, then suddenly, Steph gets a radio call saying that uh, from Batwoman saying that the gal is under attack and she needs you in their uniform in, in, inside of their uniforms as soon as possible. Meanwhile, inside the gala, uh, Batwing is talking to Bruce and Batwoman, um, or Bruce and Kate, I should say, because they're not in costume yet. And Bruce says, "Can you get your suit? Uh, is your suit close by?" And he says, uh, "Yes, uh, I sure hope so." He goes towards the, a window, opens the window, jumps out what appears to be at least five stories up. And as on his way down, the drones that bo- popped out of his car in the previous page, they surround him Iron Man style. And he now has his suit of armor all around him. I mean, he should have just had ACDC playing in the background. Yeah. All right. So meanwhile, uh, we have the the victim syndicate telling everybody that, uh, you know, that they're there to attack. Renee Montoya says that she's going to try to take them on using the Fox tech weapons that were on display at the gala. She is then told that uh, they're not there for her. That one explains to her that she needs to get herself and the other officers out of the building so that they can deal with this victim syndicate. Uh, then Batwing shows up and he starts to clear away the smoke that was caused by the the explosion from the victim syndicate. Um, the, the first victim, which is the person in the red hood, explains that they're there because they're there to take out Batman and everyone who's related to Batman. Um, after Batman says, um, you know, that's not how it's going to be. You're going to tell me who you are. She or he or she explains that uh, they are all people who have been affected by attacks on Batman. Then uh, Mr. Noxious is told to take out Stephanie. Um, Instantaneously, Stephanie starts 
uh, puking her guts out and uh, is revealed that uh, she has some sort of poison in her system that is not lethal, but is very painful and they need to get her out of there. Uh, the first victim explains a ginormous monologue explaining who they are and why they're doing this. Um, as we continue on, Batwing, uh, the first victim talks long enough for Batwing to hack into <laughs> the biometric shield that uh, the first the first victim was using so that Batman can actually hit the first victim. Meanwhile, Stephanie is get taken out of the gala by Harper and, and uh, Clayface. Um, and on their way out, Clayface is met by the person who reveals themselves as Mudface and says that they are who they are because of something that Clayface was involved in. Clayface explains, you know, it wasn't me. Um, it's It was never me. Um, she says, "No, you're you're going to see who you're going to see the mon- you're you're going to face the monster that you really are." Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the victim syndicate is trying to take out uh, what's left of the the Bat family or the Bat team with Cassandra, Batwoman, and Batman, um, but they're not having a whole lot of luck. Um, they do obviously land some punches in some sort, but as as this happens. It's all because the police are surrounding everybody with the guns from the Fox Tech, the Fox Tech weapons, uh, the gas that uh, Madame Crow releases not, doesn't get rid of uh, it. Instead of instills fear into its victims, it eliminates fear so that they have absolutely no fear. So instead of holding back the ability to shoot, they all start shooting. But it turns out it's all rubber bullets. We then cut back to the Belfry later on where Batwing is basically inducted into the team as the replacement for Tim Drake. Um, No surprises there. And then they talk about, uh, they basically detail every single one of the members of the victim syndicate and who they are. The only one they don't have any information on is the first victim. Uh, Meanwhile, Batman says that he's going to go check on Stephanie. He heads to Leslie Tompkins clinic where Leslie Tompkins confronts him and says, you know, after Tim and those monsters, you would think that you'd stop throwing children into dangerous situations. Very reminiscent of what happened during war games, um, especially with Leslie and and Stephanie. Um, And then uh, she explains that there's no way Batman's going to be able to see her. He'll have to come back tomorrow because she has to rest. Meanwhile, inside the room, the the first victim has confronted Stephanie and says they need to have a little chat. Next issue, Unforgiven. All right. So a couple of things. I wanted to first talk about that War Games reference with Leslie Tompkins and how over uh, heavy handed that uh, that felt. I wanted to see if you guys felt the same way. If you if you read War Games and you know what I'm talking about how the connection between Leslie Tompkins and Stephanie and how that all plays out felt just like they were trying to replay that moment. So thoughts. I'm pretty surprised. I thought we were almost going to get an editor's note that said, please see war game. Like, oh no. I mean, it was, it was pretty man standing there with pan hitting you on head. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking it was, I think it was supposed to be, I mean, essentially this is the same thing, except I don't think we're going to kill slash fake kill Stephanie, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. I've actually, I'm only in 1996 with my reading, so I still have yet to read War Games. And the reason why I haven't already is because people tell me that it's awful. So it's not like I'm looking forward to it. I mean, if they tell me that it's, you need to read, like, No Man's Land, I I read, like, probably seven years ago. So, I mean, yeah, I I can't really comment. It's not that bad. It's not not that bad. I mean, like, if you like the character (laughs) of Stephanie, that's why probably why people will say they don't like it. But It's a betrayal. Yeah. It's not like 
a bad comic, though. It's yeah. just the way they deal with Stephanie is kind yeah. of rough, yeah. you know. Same way, I guess, if you were Jason Todd and how Death of Death in the Family yeah. dealt with Would Jason Todd is is very similar, I guess. But then again, I don't know very many Jason Todd fans, especially back then. Oh, I like Jason back then. I mean, oh, back then nobody liked him. He was a smug exactly. little brat. Yeah. Exactly. Actually. Um, Death in the Family can be looked at as the best thing that ever happened to Jason Todd character. That's Honestly, true. it was killing him. Yeah. All right. So outside of uh, that War Games reference, uh, there's a couple things. So we know a little bit more about the victim syndicate. As predicted, they are all people who were affected by attacks. The question, I, I guess, that I immediately thought to myself was, if these people had something happen to them due to an attack by a villain on Batman, Number one, why do they blame the villain or why do they blame Batman rather than the villain? And number two, why is it that they take similar monikers of the villain that caused them, the, you know, this situation that they're currently in? Well, I think from a realistic point of view, it look it would look silly if they were all dressed and named after Batman. True, true. So I think that from a artistic point of view and uh, a story point of view, it makes more sense. I mean, that's it. That's got to be it because it would be almost better if there was like thing one and thing two. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess the reason they, they went with the, with the villains is it's quite frankly more interesting. Um, also, even though they are saying it's Batman's fault, they still have to harbor some hatred towards those, those villains. So I'm assuming that's kind of why they, they did it the way it is. Although it, it would have made more sense to, to name yourselves after the bat family or, or possibly more sense to, not go out and decide to kill people. Um, I think this gets to sort of the question that can be asked of any hero. Um, is it the hero's fault that villains appear? Uh, and this is something, you know, I discussed with my comic seminar class when I had it. Uh, because, you know, without Batman, would all these, you know, heroes appear? You know, without, it could be said for any, any hero. I was going to say Spider-Man, but it didn't. Uh, <laughs> mm. um, so I think that makes sense because they, they're skipping the middleman and they're going right to the origin or the right to the reason why villains are even running around and that happens to be Batman so I, I think that's why uh, they, they blame him for all of this what was the other part of the question well it's why did they t- well the other part of the question was how why did they take the monikers of their the people who who caused them to have whatever they, you know, the problems that they have. Yeah. As for that, I can't really say because, you know, I think about Barbara Gordon, original New 52 style, and think about, you know, how her PTSD, remember that, after her attack and just thinking, you know, what if she became Joker's daughter in some sort of alternate reality, um, an Elseworld story. And it doesn't really make sense to me because if you are harmed by these people and, you know, your life is irrevocably changed, then why would you take after them? Um, I don't think they would take after Batman either, but you'd think that they would come up with some distinct uh, villain that they were. And I mean, the only one, I, I can't really see all of them being taken after whomever, I, I guess. I don't know. So you're, you're just assuming that Clayface three was attacked by Clayface that's in our team. I'm not going to cl- call her Clayface three. I'm going to call her Mudface <laughs> since that's her name. Mudface. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. assuming because they made a comment to say like Mr. Noxious, he had, a, he was, he was involved in an attack uh, with poison Ivy. They said mute had something to do uh, with uh, 
well, I can't remember what they said yeah. for mutes, but you know, they Mudface this has something to do with Clayface. Uh, so I mean, like the thing is, like I they clearly have some sort of connection, and I'm sure that the first victim is going to tie back to Red Hood or Joker or Ooh. something like that because of yeah. the Red Hood that they're wearing. They are kind of telegraphing that past. Oh yeah, they? yeah. I mean, um, I guess the other thing too that was kind of struck me with this was the very the realization that we're going to have to deal with, and I'm glad that they brought this up that Clayface is a murderer. He's killed people, mm-hmm. like. And we're going to have to deal with the fact that he's on the team and he's a bad, bad guy. I didn't know if we were rewriting Rebirth continuity to show that Clayface had just kind of been like a thief or something because they were kind of unclear, you know? Um, but if he's been convicted of these type of crimes, I guess this is something we're going to have to deal with at some point. And it, But it also seems like, I mean, we, we, we can tell that. I think he has some sort of dark past. But I think we can also, we're really starting to make him into some sort of sympathetic character and i mean there'd be no reason he'd be on the team if batman i think didn't see some good in him because otherwise why have him on the team but just the you know his interactions with Quayface three as i'll call her and then of course in the danger room it would <laughs> that's an x-men reference in the danger room when there's like we need to step it up and then you know his monsters form and it really like you know, took him back and everything. Um, yeah, I feel, well, I guess we'll see. But, hey, man, if he Batman hangs out with Selena, then why can't he hang out with uh, Clayface? Well, no, if, if we got Lady Clay, Clayface 3, she's yeah. way more powerful than Clayface is. Because if you remember correctly, Clay, Lady Clay, when she copied someone, she also copied their powers. Mm, so if she, took, right. if she took on, like, Superman's form, she had Superman's powers. So she would be an interesting character. And we already saw the soppy Clayface from... But, but as we know, it's not, it's not Lady Clay. I, Here we go. <laughs> we need to keep making sure we say this. They're saying the character's name is Mudface. But it could be her. It's just Clay. a different name. A theory? Just a theory, man. Well, so far, she has absolutely no powers because she didn't even do anything in in the in the fight. But anyway, outside of that, it, it, I, I want to move on because I don't want to keep arguing about Lady Clay. Uh, outside of that, the other thing I want to quickly bring up is the, you know, this is a very brief thing because there's not a whole lot to go on here. But when we were some of the interviews that Tynan had did had done previously and some of the things he talked about at New York Comic Con talking about leading up to this story arc was, you know, the first story arc really dealt with Tim Drake and in some ways Kate because they were they were really focusing on building Kate up to be really the co star of the series and then they had Tim as you know the lieutenant, and then obviously Tim dies, or so we see, or so it seems in the in the pages of the book. So the first arc really dealt with those two characters. This arc was we were told that it was really going to deal with Stephanie. I wanted to see since we're two issues in, if you really feel like what we've been shown so far is really dealing with Stephanie, or is it just going to be a matter of she's attacked? And that's what we're. That's how the character is going to be developed. I don't know. I mean, you do have the whole war game sequence here. You know, I, I think that it's. I think she's. I think anytime there's a team book like this and there's this many people, I think the idea of them being dealt with is kind of what we see here, which is she gets a couple more pages, because you can't really have a singularly focused book with this kind of team book. You know, the the rest of the team still has to have something to do. Um, I think with her interaction with Leslie and the first victim uh, coming into her room at the end, I think that we could be at the beginning of her being the primary focus. Either she could be 
kidnapped and put through some ordeal or she's going to take down the first victim. So I, I think that she, she's been focused on as much as you can on a, you know, on a book where you have this many characters going on and, 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 and he's done very well with all these plates spinning in the air. Um, yeah. And I think we could be seeing her coming to the forefront for the next couple issues by the way this one's ended. So yeah, I'd say it's as good as it's going to get with a cast of characters this big. Yeah. And that's the difficulty I think with an ensemble, you know, just like Ed is saying is that you want to build them up as a group, but you also want to get to know them more as individuals. And I think to a certain extent, um, eternal, I mean, it set her up, but Eternal Part Two. I don't. I feel like it did a disservice for her because um, I. I just. I don't know. I just didn't seem like it felt like <laughs> it wasn't the best characterization of her. I'd have to read the whole thing over again. Uh, but what it did do, though, that was nice, is sort of bond the three females together: Harper, Cass, and Steph. And I think that was. Um, one of the more beautiful relationships to come out of that particular story. And I think something that we see a little bit here and there in this particular book, I think, um, I think it's, it's, uh, I think it is focusing on her and for good reason, because Tim, you know, she is probably besides Batman, the most, the one most likely to be affected by his death. So I think that's why we're focusing on it. And it's like a good also I'm trying to think of a, a good word for this, a, a model of what this life does to people. Because mm-hmm. I think yeah. that um, that speech that Wesley made, it could be true of any character. Um, you know, you don't really think about what, what the repercussions are of this. You're just sending these teens in to fight your war. And, you know, I think that's true every time Batman does go out with anyone. It's just that now we have it very much present in Stephanie because of Tim. So Tim, it happened. And now you've got Stephanie, which is like the fallout for the Tim thing. And and Batman's kind of concerned, but he's also still doing whatever. He's not like telling her to stay out of the game. So I I think it's good to use her for this. um, But I'm hoping that she's able to come out of it. Like she doesn't reach a bottomless pit of despair and then we never see her character again for whatever reason that'd be sad the other thing i think is slightly strange is that somehow i don't know if it's in i I, like just real quick your thoughts on do you think it's implied that the first victim knows that stephanie is spoiler based off that last page the fact that Mm -hmm. the first victim specifically seeks her out says her name do you think it's implied that she knows that stephanie is spoiler I wouldn't be surprised if First Victim knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. I wouldn't be surprised if First Victim knows all of the people and their various um, identities. I think that First Victim, while (laughs) is a bit laughable right now, I think is probably a bigger threat than we realize. And I think that it's not just someone who decided now's the time to strike. I think it's a person that's been building up and maybe creating dossiers and really doing his or her homework and now is going towards the weakest member and the weakest chain in the link, which happens to be Stephanie. Maybe it's Stephanie's mom. Oh, whoa, that'd be crazy. You know, it's funny because Ian suggested that on the website and I thought to myself, I don't think that that will actually end up being it, but that was a really cool thought because I didn't even actually, I didn't think of that, you know, as an option. (sighs) We're focusing on Stephanie's character. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We just talked about that. That would definitely keep this arc focused on Stephanie if it turned out to be her mom. 
I think it could happen. I think it could be the reason why she's going after Stephanie, she, or unless there is some other reason to. But I mean, what would be the reason? I mean, I could hear, I could, I could see it being her mom. I mean, Batman is in the way that the, any nutter would would wish it maybe be responsible for that. Um, yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. I mean, that would that would explain a lot of it. Um, does she know Stephanie's identity? Well, if she's her mom, and I think she knows yeah. Stephanie's identity. Um, but but otherwise, um, I think she does. I think since that, given what I've seen here, either it takes a tremendous amount of luck or she has some information. All right. So, Detective Comics, I'm going to give three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. It's good. It's good. Book's good. Three and a half. And over on the website, Ian also gave it three and a half. So, it's going to give Detective Comics number 944 a total of three and a half out of five bad ratings. That is all of our in depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website for Greater Gotham. very first week we had was November 2nd. Uh, as we already talked about, we had Batman. We also had Nightwing number eight. Dick Grayson tracks down Raptor, who is holding Bruce Wayne hostage. After learning more about Raptor's motivations, Nightwing takes him down swiftly. This was reviewed by David. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Um, I'll give it thumbs up because it was an interesting history between Raptor and uh, the mother of Dick Grayson. All right. Harley Quinn number seven. Harley's cover as a bandmate is blown when she heads to a club owned by the Penguin. After getting to take out the other band, the story wraps up. This was reviewed by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Secondary TBU books, Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel number five, which includes digital chapters nine and ten. Batman and Robin joined Steed and Mrs. Peel to fight the criminal mastermind behind the robotic cybernaut army. This was reviewed by Jerry. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Catwoman election night. Number one, Selena navigates the twisty workings of Gotham's mayoral campaign as she tries to save Miss Kitty's home for wayward girls. This was reviewed by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Yeah, it's pretty good. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. Main DC Universe books, Justice League number eight. A bit of computer code causes the Watchtower to fall from Earth's orbit, while the same code takes over Batman's vehicles in the Batcave. This was reviewed by Paul. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 And then over in secondary DC Universe books, we had Cyborg number four. Once again, Batman appears alongside the rest of the Justice League in Cyborg's Nightmare. We had DC Comics Bombshells number 19, which includes digital chapters 55 through 57. A Bat Family heavy issue as the Batgirls fly by night. A new villain, the Reaper, attacks Harper Row and her Batgirls as they protect Mayor Harvey Dent. A refugee from Europe, Reaper seeks revenge on Nazi Hugo Strange and his American collaborators. And the Batgirls insist on forgiveness and restoration instead of vengeance and death, even as Harvey's heroism scars his Scars half his face. Um, then we had uh, Green Arrow number 10 on a transcontinental ride train ride along the ocean floor. Black Canary assists Green Arrow in stopping an assassination attempt. And then we had Superman number 10 in what appears to be the prelude to Super Sun's, the Super Sun series. Damian, Wayne, and John Kent meet for the first time, which includes appearances by Batman, Goliath, Alfred the Cat, Nobody, Titus, Batcow, and Alfred Pennyworth. And then... Uh, TBU trades and hardcovers for that week include Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, number 6, Collector's Edition, DC Superhero Girls Hits and Myths trade paperback, Gotham Academy, volume 3, yearbook trade paperback, 
Teen Titans, The Silver Age, Omnibus, Volume 1, Hardcover, Absolute Batman, Year 1, Hardcover, Dark Knight Returns, Collector's Edition box set. And then moving over into November 9th, uh, main TBU books. We already talked about Detective Comics and All-Star Batman. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number four. The birds close in on a on the new Oracle as the Huntress reveals her backstory. This is reviewed by Ian. He gave it four to five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up, but weren't we lied to? Didn't remember like two months ago we were told that by issue four we would know who Oracle was? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but they, so I, do, I was yeah, waiting. I was yeah. like bated breath each page turn. And or then maybe nothing. we do know who it is. We just haven't figured it out. Hum. That means we don't know who it is. Yeah, hum dinger. It's right. probably. <laughs> <laughs> just a heads up. Red Hood and the Outlaws number four. As Jason calms Bizarro down, Black Mask reveals that he plans to use Bizarro to take over Gotham City. And then he knows Jason has been trying to infiltrate his gang the whole time. This is reviewed by Bill. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I don't know how, but I'm still giving Scott Lobdell thumbs up. Thumbs up. <laughs> thumbs up. All right. And then Mother Panic number one. Violet Page dons a costume and fights Gotham City. Seedy Underbelly as the superhero Mother Panic. This is reviewed by... Jerry, he gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral? Neutral. It's weird to see the F word pop up in a Batman book. I thought, yeah. It's vertigo, so it's extreme. It is, yeah. Extreme. No, no, not vertigo. Young is. animal. Not, young yeah. animal. Oh, sorry. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. The other DC book. It's similar to. Gotham Academy, second semester number three. The detective club leaps into action to save one of their own. While another member faces an uncertain future. Also, Olive has an interesting encounter by the bonfire. This was viewed by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Thumbs up. Secondary TV books, uh, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures, number one. A portal <gasps> between Gotham City and New York City is opened, and the Joker and Harley Quinn want to meet Shredder. Joker. This was reviewed by Paul. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. What? Thumbs up, man. You need to leave this show. I'm sorry. Lumberjanes Gotham Academy number six. The Lumberjanes Gotham Academy crews finally get to the bottom of the mystery at the Greenwood Lodge as they battle the Skull Monsters in the final issue. This was by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, neutral. Neutral. And no, no main DC Universe books, but as far as secondary DC Universe books, we have Action Comics number 967. Batman appears alongside the Justice League in a war-torn post-apocalyptic Earth. Deathstroke number six, Batman makes a brief appearance showing that Rose Wilson is still in his custody. Earth 2 Society number 18 is the heroes from Earth 2 fight creatures that appear to be a mix of Sandman and Batman. Huntress, Batman, and John Grayson make their way through the ghost world to a vibrant version of Metropolis. The Flash number 10, Damian Wayne appears alongside the Teen Titans in a scene stating that Wally West has been spending time away from Central City. And then finally, New Superman number five as Superman... Joins the Freedom Fighters. The Batman of China tries to stop them, only to come under the control of Starro. And then uh, TBU trades and hardcovers. There was only one DC Dark Horse Just League Volume One. Uh, this was a trade paperback. So that is all of the stuff that came out in the past two weeks. Yeah. So lots of not lots of reviews for you to catch up on if you are not following along with any of the new books. Specifically, the new books that came out were uh, Batman: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures and Mother Panic. Those were the two new series that debuted so far. All right. So with that, we're going to jump into our bat signal.
we have a couple of comments. So the first one comes from Devin. Great episode. New to the show. Just started listening after Rebirth. I am not disappointed. Awesome host with lots of Batman knowledge and much love for the character. My question involves artists. How much does it affect a run for you if there's no, no constant artist? Scott Snyder had what some would consider the best Batman run in recent memory and had one artist, Greg Capullo, drawing it. Tom King is writing a great book, but has had multiple artists through 10 issues and is solicited to have more. I, for one, am very, in- ex- ooh. I, for one, am very excited for the Mitch Gerard's issues. Do you think this will influence how well Tom King does on Batman? Or is it something that you believe won't affect the book too tremendously? Thanks for the awesome show. I have to preface this with saying that I am more about story than I am art most of the time. That It just comes down to the story is good. The art doesn't have to be you know great or even good to carry a good story. Uh, art is important, but I don't think it's nearly as important as the cohesiveness of the story. Um, that being said... Um, when it comes to art, I feel like normally it's good to have the same art, the same artist or art style. What I mean by that is that there's lots of different artists that have very similar art styles. Uh, two that come to mind, uh, Jason Fabick's art is very, very similar to Jim Lee's. It's not the same, but it's very similar in style. Um, while you have other other people like, Sam Keith, who's uh, in some ways very <gasps> similar to um, Kelly Jones, in my mind. Um, so what's that? So you hate both of them, then? I, I do. I do. Um, but Not the people, but the art. Yeah, the, the art. art yeah. The art. Um, but that being said, I mean, like, the, the, sometimes for me, uh, art can detract from a story. But most of the time, it just comes down to whether or not the story is well written. Now, I will say that in a story like, you know, a, a Scott Snyder run where Greg Capullo is writing or doing the art and issue after issue after issue after issue. And then we randomly have one issue that he's not he doesn't do the art for. And whether it be a fill in issue where it has nothing to do with the current storyline, whether it's some prelude to Batman Eternal, like we saw one time, you know, something like that that does detract from the the story that's being told. Um, I do feel like if they're going to make an effort to have the same, same artist on the book for a long period of time, they need to keep the same artist on. Um, But sometimes they run into problems because if they don't plan far enough ahead, which we've seen multiple times in the past, you end up having to meet deadlines and having artists fill in, which doesn't help the situation at all when the art styles are very different. So um, for the most part, it seems like with Rebirth, they have finally, it's, you know, it did take like five years for them to figure this out, but they finally figured out how to get ahead, far enough ahead where they're not running into issues. The only it, series that it's still happening on is Suicide Squad, but that's because of Jim Lee. So I'm a bit of a different here. I love art. <laughs> I consider it to be integral to the book. Ooh. Um, there are times where if I... If I have a story that's that, that is probably above average and the art is terrible or takes me out of the story, sometimes not even the style, but some styles belong with certain stories, and sometimes things feel out of place. Or the problem we've had in art for a while is, is especially when Eternal was going on and they were drafting artists off the street to to do fill in issues. Sometimes you couldn't even tell the characters would look alike. Remember we had the problem with that? We're like, I didn't even know that was who that guy was. You know. Um, 
I think that's the one thing great about these big wrong runs with like Cap and Snyder is everyone looks the same. You instantly know who characters are and affect the story. But there's also some stories that I love because the art was so good, but the story is kind of terrible. Like a perfect example, and this is the Christmas season. So Batman Noel, oh. um, the story is not not very good, but the art is absolutely amazing. So I probably read that story once a year. Funny enough, around the Christmas season, um, just because the art's that good. So for me, um, I can ha- I can love a story. I can like a story that has great art, and I can like a story that has a great story. But for me to love a story, it it has to be both. Absolutely. I mean, it's a visual. You know, we were yeah. just talking about that. It's a visual medium. You know, if if I want to read, <laughs> if I want to read a novel, I'm going to read a novel that doesn't have pictures in it. Um, and if I want to just see um, a story, then I'll pick up a pictures a picture book and uh, make up my own story. So it, it is. Nice. It's it's fifty fifty for me. You know, it's uh, it's it's one way or the other. Obviously, one thing could potentially tip the balance and, and make it a good or a bad book. Um, but they both have to work together in order to um, do well. Uh, and I feel like for me, I like consistency with artists. Uh, that was the other part of the question. I would at least like one artist to be on a full arc. I don't like switching between artists um, with uh but between issues, unless the artists are similar, uh, and you can't really tell that there's a switch. I mean, we were reading, wasn't it that Batman Superman book that um, it was supernatural, remember? And like they would switch artists within the book, wasn't it that yes. that we were reading like several yeah. years ago? I don't like that kind of thing, unless it works out and it doesn't look the uh, it, it or if it's um, for instance, I think it was Batgirl Annual Number Two, where there were three different artists, but it was because there were three different storylines, and also the artists were um, complementing like the characters. Like Batwoman had an artist, and then they actually took the artists from Gotham Academy when they had that one. So that sort of thing, I I I enjoy and I'm fine with. But I would like one artist at least for a full arc, you know. So if it's a six issue story, then have that artist on for six issues, and they're really shouldn't be any excuse for why they they don't get their job done um you know if you sign on for six issues then do six issues don't sign on for more than you can handle um but yeah it, it was nice to have capullo and and um and uh snyder on for for a long haul i think they had a great writer artist chemistry and and i think they probably got down to really knowing how each other works and everything and um yeah it, it's sad when those partnerships leave. And the other thing too, I think they can sometimes make really kind of cool special stories is when the artist and the writer are the same person. Um, oh yeah. They, yeah. When they have time to do it right. Like Francis uh, Manipool. Yeah. Uh, he does it right. There's a couple of uh, Paul Pope, like Batman 100 was oh, yeah. written in, in it. So there's times where I think that that way, like you're talking about Stelic, uh, Cap and Snyder worked together so long they kind of knew where each other was going, uh-huh. you know. Um, and I think when you have, especially if it's like an original graphic novel or something that doesn't have to come out every month, um, when the guy is is illustrating and writing it, there can be times that can produce a, a special product as well. Right. And then our next comment comes from Gary. Another great episode. I thought you were a bit harsh on Batman number nine, though, as I thought it was the best issue for a long time, as it seemed to signal to me, at least, that Batman has become an actual Batman book again. 
I liked King's take on Bane, and I'd like to see him tackle the story of why he went to Gotham and why he had his Nightfall plan. As for the sales, I'm glad that DC destroyed Marvel <laughs> because the Marvel line is just being lazy at the moment and hoping that putting Civil War 2 on a book will help it sell. Also, as usual, they are doing far too many miniseries which connect to the actual event which aren't needed. To an extent, DC does the same with too many unnecessary books. Like, did we really need Harley's Little Black Book and the Gang of Harley's? I enjoy them, but are they really needed and does a character having too many series affect the sales overall? I collect all the Batman stuff that comes out during the New 52 uh, and there's going to be a lot coming out, so I had to cut out stuff like Batwoman and Batwing. I know. Or even trying out other series that I might have given a go, such as Prez, because I couldn't justify spending a huge amount every week in the comic store. At the moment, it's easier as despite the two-week release, there aren't as many Bat titles out each week, which is better for a completist like myself. Um, while And while I am probably spending a similar amount, it doesn't feel like it. My question is, do you feel that a character having too many series ruins sales of other books because they can't afford to try them? That's a good question. Before I get into the that specific question, I just want to clarify because Batman number nine, I didn't feel like we gave it a harsh review. I thought we were actually we enjoyed it because it, it did feel like a Batman book with all the different villains and stuff like that. And overall our overall rating for Batman number nine for the in the in the last episode was a total of four and a half. So I, I'm I'm wondering if what you meant about the harsh was us talking about the cliffhanger or that just if you could clarify that in your comments for the next episode, that way we have a better understanding of that. Um, but dealing specifically with your main question, does t- having too many series ruin sales of other books? I think that, and I think my answer for that is yes and no. Um, I think most of the time, if you have too many series, there's too much variety of one specific character. It does hurt the sales of other books. I myself am a completist like yourself, and I insist on collecting everything from not just the Batman books, but also the Batman universe. So anything that is a character that's from Gotham, even the digital first series end up being published in in comic form. Like, for example, Batman 66 meets Steed from Mrs. Peel. I could care less about that series, but I'm a completist, so I end up buying it anyway. Um but that being said, I feel like if you are buying just Batman books, like books that dis- distinctly feature Batman, so you're buying Batman, Detective Comics, All-Star, and let's say Dark Knight 3 on a normal basis every single month, if those are the only titles you buy, that's still a good chunk of issues. I mean, you're talking two issues of Batman, two issues of, of Detective Comics, one issue of All-Star, and if you're lucky, one issue of Dark Knight 3. So that's six issues per month that you're buying. With an average price of about $4 a piece since, since All-Star and uh, Dark Knight 3 are both more expensive. So maybe like two seventy five or uh, three seventy five or something like an average price. That's, that's, that's pretty expensive when you think about it. You're, you're dropping at least 25 bucks on just Batman books alone compared to, you know, if you were buying, you know, just if you were trying, if you were going to not buy some Batman book and you were going to spend it on something else, you could pick up something like Prez or some other title that you would never, you wouldn't normally give a shot to. Um, But I think that it comes down to the reason, the other part of this, which is no, which is 
obviously there's the completists who would want to have all of these issues anyway. But I think the most important thing when it comes to a series is, is the story worth telling? Uh, during the New 52, I think there's plenty of situations where there were stories that just didn't feel like it was necessary, um, partially because it didn't. a lot of the stuff during the New 52 didn't tie in with other books. And I'm not talking about crossovers or events. I'm not talking about that, but just like in general, there should always be some cohesion to the series of titles being produced within the same editorial group. Uh, meaning if it's a Batman book, if it's Catwoman, if it's Red Hood and the Outlaws, whether it's Nightwing, all those books should have some sort of cohesion. They don't all have to, you know, play off each other all the time. They don't all have to reference each other, but you shouldn't be contradicting and having like the same villain pop up in two different books on two separate areas of the world. It just, that doesn't make any sense. Um, So I think with Rebirth, they've put a lot more effort into making the cohesion feel as if it is a universe and not just, you know, a bunch of single titles Um, And that's true of not just the Bat books, but also of all of the DC Universe books, because they've been doing a really good job of having other characters appear in other titles and things like that. I mean, the amount of books that we talk about as secondary DC Universe books, which is just cameos from Batman Universe characters, has increased probably like three or four times what it was prior to Rebirth. Um, But that being said, I think the, the biggest thing is, yes, it can hurt you know, sales of, of, uh, you know, series that are being tried. But I think the big thing is if the stories are good and they're being told well in the bad books, I have absolutely no problem with them producing as many. I agree with you on the regard of Harley's little black book and the gang of Harley's was just a cash and attempt on the Harley popularity. Cause that really was what it is. That, that is what it was. So um, for me, I would prefer if, you know, if, if the stories are worthwhile and they're good stories, like we've been getting a lot of these rebirth titles, then by all means, produce as many as you want. That's my mindset. Yeah, um, I didn't think we were really harsh on Batman number nine, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought that our biggest problem was our concern about what happened in Batman number 10, you know, about the quick start that King gets out to. Um, but if you do want to hear us being harsh, um, you can go back. You can always go back to. Um, Sometimes when me and Dustin had point five casts where I said some pretty bad things about Anne Nascenti's Catwoman run, including oh, at one no. point saying some terrible things about uh, her family and her career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've said bad things in the past, um, but I don't think we've said anything bad about about number nine, to be honest with you. Uh, now, the, the question about the um, can it, books, because you can't afford them. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, maybe. I mean, but the reality is the bat books seem to sell. It's funny. We talked about the beginning of the show. Uh, 40% of the top 10 are Batman books. Um, there always is problems. I think it was during Court of Owls, Night of Owls, where you had the crossover. You had a detective. I think we had Dark Knight maybe still at that time had a crossover book. Um, but Batman was essentially having to do that thing where we've seen in a lot of different crossovers through the years where characters are having to do more things in an eight-hour time period that is feasible, uh, even in a comic book setting. Um so that can be that can be iffy, but uh, I, I do think that it could be problematic for the side characters. I think you're probably going to be more dedicated. Um, I think you have Batman Detective, and if they started, you know, a Dark Knight book again or whatever you want to call it, uh, I think that the fans are still going to get the Batman books. But I do see where having someone having to buy, you know, right now you have two Detective, two Batman, one All Star, one DK three sometimes. 
So you're talking two, six, you know, six books and, and two of those, which cost more than your typical price point, more like buying two books. So I could certainly see where someone could say, you know, I don't have time to check out a Batwoman book, um, which is why I like seeing the characters back in Detective. During most of New 52, we didn't get to see other characters except occasionally in the book. So I do like the fact that the rest of the universe is kind of included here. Um, I'm not sure, but I, I think, you you know, it's an interesting point. I really, really, never really thought of it like that, but it, it definitely could have a, a bearing on somebody. And, I mean, I think about New 52 and that came out in all the Bat books that we were oh, tons of them. doing. Because um, there was at least Batman and Detective, right? And then there was yeah. also Dark Knight. There was Knight. Batman the Dark Knight. There was Batman and Robin. Yeah, there's so um, much. And then you had, you had Nightwing. You had... Red Hood. Red Hood. You had Batwoman. Batwing. 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 Yeah. Catwoman had a book. Yep. Batgirl. Batgirl. Yep. And there was Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. <laughs> there was a lot. Yeah, there, yeah. Was, there was a lot. I um, So first question, I, I think, okay, Gary could come back and say he meant issue eight because I thought we were, I mean, I really liked issue nine with all the people. So maybe it was issue eight and not, um, and the Monster Men basically, which I think warranted some negative reviews overall. Um, as for the sales, <clears throat> I, I, I agree with us and I think it, both helps and hurts. I mean, people are going to gravitate towards the characters that they want to read about. Um, I am not a, and people shame me for whatever reason, like the next back of the Oracle, you're going to hear shag shame me and say, I don't even know you anymore. Cause I don't, you know, just because Batgirl pops up in a book, I'm not necessarily going to cover it or read it. Cause she was popping up in, was it Superboy? What was that book? She was helping Superboy out. Was this Superman? Yeah, Superman. Yeah, well, it was like before. And and I mean, I would, someone would tell me, and then I would like basically burn steel it at the comic book store uh, and read and see what she was up to. But I'm not necessarily going to um, go out and, and, and get it. now, however, if she is like a, a the titular character or, t- yeah, it, then I'm going to, you know, go get it like I am with these. Uh, and then, of course, you know, my biggest thing I think is with uh, Marvel because Marvel has a lot of, you know, people. I think Wolverine was the worst, but he's actually better now. Um, Spider-Man's kind of one of those characters as well. For me, I was actually, again, I gravitate towards the character. Uh, when Kitty Pride was sort of popping up in different X-Men books, I was getting all the X-Men books that she was popping up in. Uh, so that was helping out the different X-Men books, but only because I happen to be um, a fan of Kitty Pride. Uh, so it, it hurts other books, I guess, if you're deciding, you know, you're looking kind of like when you're at a grocery store and do I want the frozen peas or the frozen corn? <laughs> you're like, do hmm. I want another Batman book or do what I a, want to try What a very odd, odd <laughs> way to put it, yeah. Do I want another Batman book or do I want to try uh, something new? And I think it depends. Uh, for me personally, it depends on who's writing that Batman book and like how interested am I in starting this new book um, or something because I follow writers. So, for example, sorry, another Marvel example. I really like Jason Aaron as a writer. And so he, you know, I guess it was last year, um, was going to start a Doctor Strange book. And I am I like Doctor Strange, but I don't really read him consistently. But Jason Aaron, I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. And so now I, I read that. Um, so it would also depend on that. Just like with Ed, I think, you know, if Scott Snyder said he was going to 
write um, a Mad Hatter book. book. No, a Mad Hatter book. Uh. Even though he despises Mad Hatter, he would probably pick it up because he's a, uh, a Scott Snyder sycophant. So let's, there you let's go. hope we never have to put that theory to the test. That's P.S. Bring back the point five cast. That's what I want you people to put in the um, the um, <laughs> the survey that you've not done. As long as they want to host it. All right, so I'll, I'll just move along and say our last <laughs> comment. Our last comment comes from somebody named Backle Oracle. I can't imagine who this is because they signed an anonymous. Go it ahead. It says anonymous, some beautiful person inside and out named anonymous asked, "When is Harper Rowe going to host an episode of the Comic Cast?" And the most simple answer I can give you is. Never. Okay, that's well, okay. The I, fans spoke on Twitter. I put okay, out. Okay, go ahead and explain what exactly you're talking about. Go on. I absolutely will. On Twitter, because we talked about getting rid of Dustin for an episode, I can't remember why, but um, based- <laughs> what'd you say? General principle doesn't matter <laughs> because we're done with him. So we thought, you know, who who would be a good person to basically, you know, replace him on an episode. So I put out on Twitter the call, please vote. And so I said, Harper Rowe, she'd be a good host. Ed's dog, yeah, he's on. Came, he yeah. came on last one. Dustin's son, who also his little pitter patter of feet, and do you want to play with me? Sometimes pops up on the odd blooper. Or Richard Stoneless, who pops up anyways whenever Dustin says, realistically, you know, who could this be? So 16 people voted. I have the results here, people. 38% said Harper Rowe should, uh, should host. Ed's dog was tied with Dustin's son at 25. And go. Richard Stoneless can't get any love at 13%. So basically, the fans have spoken, and you would do them a disservice by – not having Harper Rowe host. And we've reached out to Harper, right? Or we've tried to. Tried to get in touch with her agent. I sent a direct, you know, a, a tweet, but. Well, she's... I'll say, I'll just say this. Okay. Yeah, please. Realistically. So the, uh, <laughs> the six fans who voted for Harper Rowe. Yes. I will greatly disappoint you by saying it's <sighs> not going to happen. Well, One, Harper Rowe is not a real person. <laughs> Okay. She's not a real person. She's a comic book character. She can't just appear and host the comic cast. If my two co-hosts would love to go ahead and try to book Harper Rowe and her fake self to take my job for a week, by all means, I will be completely open to that. Her and her wonderful tech skills can also edit the podcast that week as well. Fair, but the caveat has to be if Harper Rowe actually shows up, you have to let her host. If Harper Rowe actually shows up, I will take the week off. Okay, so, so if she knocks on your door and she's like, I'm here, you're just going to bike. No, no, I won't even say she has to show up to my house. I do not want her to show up to my house. <laughs> okay, let's make children. this clear. I do not want Harper Rowe showing up to my, my door, okay? If Harper Rowe emails me and says, hi, I'm Harper Rowe, I will host the podcast then by all means, you two and Harper Rowe can figure it out that Harper way. Harper Rowe 87492 at yahoo.com is about to... Uh, 87492? Did Harper have to go through 87491 uh, other usernames before she well, got it? She's a popular character. Do you know how many, <laughs> how many people are trying to call themselves Harper Rowe? Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm just saying, Dustin, I, 
there is the possibility, of course, that we could dress up Dustin and Ooh. have him do a Harper voice. <gasps> that also Dustin? will not happen. Oh, uh, Dustin. I mean, you, you, you both said that you could get Harper Row to do this, and I volunteered my time to allow you to, to do this. So if you guys okay. can, can, can get Harper Row, by all means, but I can okay. assure you that I am not dressing up as Harper Row. Oh, dear. And talking in Harper Row's voice that we've never actually heard. So, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start calling agents. agents. Yeah. yeah. Yes. See what we can do here. Yeah. Good luck with that. Okay. So, Now's the time of the episode. Uh, that is obviously all of our listener Q&As. Um, we still have yet to get any suggestions whatsoever for episode 200, so I guess nothing's happening because episode 200 is the next episode. Well, we gave you suggestions. You just yes, turned them my down left my and co- right. My co-hosts have given me suggestions. They said a call-in show, which nobody seems that interested in because nobody Ugh. responded and said they were interested in a call-in show. And uh, I, I, this episode, they, they suggested a musical episode. I think that would be a good idea. Don't don't know how that would work either, but uh, yeah. So I'm sorry I've turned down those two ideas. That we uh, sing. That's how it work. We just sing the whole thing. Yeah, I have no desire to do that. Oh, um, yeah, I guess I'm just a negative Nancy when it comes to the, the podcast yeah, today. You are. So anyway, uh, I will tell you that uh, as of right now, we are still looking for all of our listeners to head over to the website, click on the green box on the sidebar that says. Uh, Click here to make TBU better. Um, that will take you to a survey where you fill it out. We've adjusted some of the questions uh, due to some responses that we received. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, the idea is to get a better understanding of what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy on the website, as well as the podcasts and which podcasts are more important to you, and just general comments on how we can make the website better and things like that. So head over to the website, click on the links to take you to SurveyMonkey, where our, our survey is currently being hosted between now and the end of December. The more people who take the survey, the better better pool of, of uh, listeners we can take, take uh, suggestions from. So in addition to that, there's also a PayPal button that you can hit donate, and you can donate directly to the Batman universe uh, to help support us going forward. Um, and then in addition to that, we're looking for a number of people to just volunteer their skills. If you don't have the ability to donate funds to TBU, we're always looking for volunteers, whether it be writer, uh, content writers, news reporters, video editors, audio editors, uh, web developers, graphic designers, artists, uh, any, any of that, those skills, we're always looking for people to help with a variety of skills. So if you are interested in donating your time to the Batman universe, email us at TBU at the Batman and let us know what skills you'd like to donate. In addition to that, head over to the website to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer on a weekly basis. There's always new episodes posting every single week, something every every week, no matter what week it is. There's always something new. So check out the website for all kinds of new podcasts. In addition to that, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the BatmanUniverse.net. And, of course, you can leave us reviews in iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And leave your comments on the podcast posts on the website so we can discuss those on the next episode. Uh, just as a heads up, November is, in fact, a five-month or five-Wednesday <gasps> month. Oh, here we go again. So you won't hear us back until well after Thanksgiving. Uh, the next episode you'll hear from us will actually post on December 9th. So you'll have three weeks in between. So uh, with that, uh, in addition to that, uh, December 
Uh, also, with the holidays and things like that, uh, we may adjust the schedule. But one way or the other, you're still going to get two episodes in December. It's just a matter of what happens for that first episode in January, which we'll figure out soon. So with that, that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks. Harper, give us a call. Mm-hmm.